Dr. Amalia Gonyas Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us on the line today from Nigeria for our series on women in science is Professor Esther Titlayo Akinlabi, who is a professor of mechanical engineering and currently serves as the director of the Pan-African University for Life and Earth Sciences in Ibadan. Welcome to the show, Professor. Thank you very much. Prof Akinlabi, it is so wonderful to connect with you again. We first met in 2016 when you were at the University of Johannesburg. Firstly, I have to congratulate you on your new appointment, which you assumed in the height of the COVID pandemic. But before we talk about your role, let's briefly discuss the Pan-African University, which was conceptualized by the African Union. And as I understand it, there are four institutes, each specializing in a different discipline. They're located in different regions on the continent. Please tell us more. Thank you very much. I'll try and be brief. The Pan-African University was uh, conceptualized by the African uh, heads of state in 2007. And the institutes were planned should be located at uh, each region on the African continent. So it's planned to have one in the north, south, east, west, and the central. There was supposed to be five originally, and uh, one was uh, supposed to be hosted by South Africa, and it is still in the, in the pipeline, hopefully to, to start soon. So the first I'll, I'll talk about is uh, the Pan-African University for Water and uh, Energy Services, uh, the institute, which is in Algeria, hosted by the Tlemcen, they focus on water and uh, energy. The second one is uh, in Kenya, hosted by the Jomo Kenyatta University in uh, Nairobi. That is the Pan-African University for Science, Technology, and Innovation. Their uh, discipline focus is uh, basically into the sciences, technology, engineering, and innovation. The third one we have is the Pan-African University for Governance, Humanities, and Social Sciences. And this is in Cameroon, hosted in Yaoundé. And uh, their focus is on humanities and social sciences. They are the institute in the central of Africa, in Cameroon. Then we have uh, Paolesi, that is where I'm currently heading. That is the Pan-African University Life and Earth Sciences Institute in Ibadan, with Nigeria as the host country. And uh, we are hosted at the University of Ibadan in Ibadan, Oyo State in Nigeria. The fifth one is uh, the Pan-African University for Space Sciences. This is expected to be hosted in Cape Town and the host with the South Africa as the host government. Hopefully soon, it will, uh, the door of, of that institute will also be open, and then that will complete the opening of the five institutes, each repre represented at, uh, the, at various regions of the African continent. It's so wonderful to hear how we are enriching our own sources of knowledge as a continent. 
and establishing these nodes of excellence across different regions. As the director of the Pan-African University for Life and Earth Sciences Department, can you tell us more about some of the objectives of the department, as well as the responsibilities that come with this position? Right. As director of the Institute, I'm the head of the Institute, and uh, my position is to, uh, it's an administrative role to provide oversight, and uh, I'm the person responsible for for the Institute in terms of teaching and learning, in terms of research activities, all activities of the Institute, the budget, financials, and all of that rests on my shoulders. The Institute has four thematic areas, which is in health sciences, life sciences, earth sciences, and agriculture. And when we talk about those types of dimensions, so health, life, earth, agriculture, they're really important from an African perspective. And earlier when we were talking offline, you mentioned that you've got, I think it is representation from, of students from 45 different countries on the continent. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit more about some of the, the research projects that your teams have been working on? Right. So we have uh, a number of programs. We have 10 master's program and uh, six PhD programs. And the uh, majority of the, of, of the research that we conduct at, uh, at the Institute speaks to the Agenda 2063 of the African Union. And uh, for example, the plant breeding program works in collaboration with the International Institute of Tropical Agriculture here in Ibadan to look into food security. It is uh, part of the plan of uh, the African Union Commission to ensure that there is food security for the citizens of, the, of Africa. Another example I would like to cite is uh, the program we have on medicinal plants and drug discovery. This particular program works hand in hand with the Forestry Research Institute in Nigeria. And they have done a lot of research in trying to, to use uh, herbs to solve health challenges like the COVID-19 and uh, many other diseases. Many students have done a lot of research to see how the herbs we have available for us on the African continent can actually be used to solve some of these uh, problems. Our program on the, in, in vet medicine, we have uh, avian medicine and we also have uh, vaccine production and quality control. I'm also happy to say that uh, the master's degree qualification in vaccine control, I'm actually made to understand that it is the only program existing on the African continent wherein a master's qualification is awarded for vaccine production. And this program works uh, hand in hand with, uh, with Zotis, which is an animal uh, company, a global animal company, and also chief farms as well in, uh, in, in Ibadan. So they are looking into vaccine production and their, their focus is on, is on animals. Then our program on, in the geosciences program, they work with the Nigerian Geological Survey. They do a lot of research in, in geo, geosciences considering a geological survey and uh, mineral exploration. So those are some of our programs. Most of the research they do speak to solving 
pertinent issues, pertinent problems that we have on the African continent. And all of these are targeted towards preferring solutions and ensuring a better life for the citizenry on the African continent in line with the AU Agenda 2063. You must be so proud of the work that your students and staff are being able to put out because as you say, they've got meaningful contributions to real world problems in our continent. Hi, I'm Zonke Digana, a South African Afro-Soul musician, songwriter, and producer. You are listening to Womanity, Women in Unity on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Today, we're talking to Professor Esther Akinlabi, who is the director of the Pan-African University for Life and Earth Sciences in Ibadan, Nigeria. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. One of the questions that I wanted to ask you is, given the real world work that you're doing, do you think there's enough collaboration between industry and academia? Well, I would say yes, there is um, collaboration, but then I would say not at the level where it should be. However, we identified the need to bridge the gap. And at this junction, I'm happy to, to say that uh, the Pan-African University got funding from the African Development Bank to have innovation incubation herbs at the four uh, institutes, PAU institutes that are operational. So these uh, incubation herbs are being funded by the African Development Bank and they will be assisting the PAU institutes to bridge the gap between the industry and the academia. We want to conduct research that speaks directly to the industry in solving some of the problems that we have. The students that you take into the university, I would say are quite special because they can only be admitted on a a condition of a scholarship. So they have to obviously compete for those scholarships from the African Union. How do you see the responsibilities of the Institute beyond the the research and the academic aspect in terms of thinking of these students as being the continent's future leaders? Thank you very much. Very good question. I must say that I fully agree with you that the selection process is very, very competitive. For this current year, 2021, we had uh, 110 uh, uh, placements. We received applications, uh, we received 4,280 applications from all across the African continent. And the selection panel with representations from all the regions of Africa and from within Nigeria had their hands full to be able to, to to, to select the 110 students with the fact that we were to also ensure that 50% of the students enrolled are women. I'm happy that the African Union Commission and the PAU recognizes the gender gap. And with that, we have uh, a rule that 50% of students enrolled at the various institutes should be women. And we still try our best to ensure that we select 
women uh, candidates that have uh, merit, the, the requisite. Now, looking at uh, the, the responsibilities of, of, of the universities uh, towards shaping the thinking of, of the students as, as key players and particularly for women, I would say that uh, the students at uh, Paolesi and other institutes of the PAU as well, I must say that they see themselves as critical stakeholders towards uh, the continent's future in terms of social, political, economic, and uh, technological players as well. I believe that uh, the students, from uh, my interaction with them, they see themselves as ambassadors of their home countries. I also see them engaging themselves in meaningful discussions to take responsibility and actually look towards solving the, some of the problems we have on the African continent. Like the innovation hub I was referring to, to, to earlier on, this has actually kickstarted virtually and I participate in many of these programs and I hear and I see how powerless students actually actively engage and participate in how they can be involved, how they can become critical stakeholders in solving some of these problems that we have on the African continent in terms of health, electricity, food, and other issues that we have on the continent. It sounds as though the, the students that have come into this environment are, are very much attuned to benefiting both their own home, home countries as well as contributing to the continent on a larger scale. Hi, this is Lira, South African Afro-Soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, presented by Dr. Amelia Malka on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, a program that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, and democracy. Today, we're talking to Professor Esther Akinlabi, who is the director of the Pan-African University for Life and Earth Sciences in Ibadan, Nigeria. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Prof Akinlabi, I recently read a 2017 UNESCO report about girls and women's education, specifically on STEM subjects, so science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. And as I was going through this document, one of the first set of statistics that leapt off the page was that only 17 women have won a Nobel Prize in physics, chemistry, or medicine since Marie Curie in 1903, compared to 572 men. And then the second statistic was the fact that only 28% of the world's researchers are women. So thinking about these figures, uh, the fact that you are a scientist and that the world of today demands new skills for us to function and participate in the digital economy. How can we ensure that women don't get left behind in this tech economic revolution? Yeah, very true. The statistics are shocking. I fully agree with you. I've, I've come across uh, this uh, statistics from time to time, and uh, I've also had to also 
I look to them as well. Sometimes when I have the platform and I'm giving the opportunity to be a keynote speaker at some, at some platform. Now, I believe that there is needs to create more awareness. Yes, many uh, NGOs and so many people have been involved, many organizations across the globe have been actively involved for several decades in trying to create awareness. However, I believe that we do not have to be tired. I'm using what we, because I'm also an advocate of having a girl child enroll in STEM education. So I believe that there's need to create more awareness and conscious effort needs to be geared towards giving women opportunities to participate. So like I, I mentioned to you, the example of the, of the PAU selection, wherein we need to ensure that uh, 50% of the, of the new students are women. That's the conscious effort. If you don't make conscious effort, it's not gonna happen. And then I'm also happy recently to see some grants, some, some grants call for, for grant proposals that are targeted towards uh, considering certain percentage of grant awardees as, as, as women. And also many grants are also uh, being coming up on board to uh, encourage women to take up studies and come up with uh, activities and what they can do to encourage young uh, girl child into taking up STEM fields. So I believe that we have to just still continue to create more awareness and uh, encourage girl child to go into, into STEM fields and the conscious effort needs to, 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 to be made. Thanks for sharing those factors of, of awareness and encouragement to stimulate younger women and uh, girls to consider the STEM subjects for their future. What was your aha moment to pursue science as a subject matter? For me, my, my dad, was the one that naturally encouraged me. I didn't uh, come across actually this principle or an interest in science, so to speak, when I was uh, at a junior, junior high school. So I was just offering all my subjects and I was doing excellently well in all the subjects that I was taking at that particular point in time, both science and, and the social sciences uh, subjects. However, my dad, who is a quantity surveyor and also into building and all of that, encouraged me to, to study science. And I, I did, and I never regretted the, the, doing that. And I also say that uh, I was, uh, I, I would consider myself lucky as well to have teachers at that time who encouraged me to continue in the line of, uh, of taking a, a science uh, subject. And uh, yeah, so that was it true. The secondary school, then graduated and proceeded to, to the university to study engineering. From your undergrad years in engineering, you eventually moved to South Africa for a period to do your, your postgrad and your doctorate. Yes, I did my first degree and master's in Nigeria. My first degree was at the Federal University of Technology, Akure. And my master's was at the University of Port Harcourt. I then left for South Africa for my doctorate degree in mechanical engineering at the then 
Nelson Mandela Metropolitan University, now Nelson Mandela University in, in Port Elizabeth. And how did you find, from a cultural point of view, the, the, the difference of, you know, you, you grew up in Nigeria, you, your whole life was there, and then you completely immigrated to another country. What, what was that experience like? Yeah, it was a huge culture shock. I come from a village called Kaba, Kogi State. And then from, from that, uh, yeah, over, over, the, over the, the time, I moved on to Akure, which is a little bit uh, more developed compared to my village for university, and then lived in Port Harcourt before leaving for South Africa. However, I had a, a huge culture shock. The way things are done, culturally, totally different from where I, I, I came from, and then so, yeah, I was able to adapt, I would say, very, very quickly. I looked at uh, how things were done, studied how people do things, had friends, and I was able to easily integrate. I would say that. I was able to, to easily and quickly integrate into the South African uh, system then at the, at the Port Elizabeth. So, yeah, infrastructure culture, food, weather, many, many things that changed for, for me at that particular point in time. And uh, I would say, yeah, it was easy, so to speak. By the time I had between one to three months in South Africa, it feels like I've been in Port Elizabeth for, for years already. So I was able to easily and I quickly blended in and, and I was able to, to move on with, with my life. And you moved on very, very successfully up to, I think you were head of department uh, at University of Johannesburg eventually. Yeah. So at the completion of my doctorate degree in uh, 2010, I got hired at the University of Johannesburg as a lecturer in November 2010. And then uh, fast forwarded, I grew through the ranks to become senior lecturer, associate professor, and I was confirmed as a full professor 1st of May 2016, in uh, January 2015, I was appointed as a head of department. Actually, at that particular point in time, I was made to understand that I was the first woman and the first woman of color to be the head of department of mechanical engineering at the University of Johannesburg. And then thereafter, in 2017, I was appointed as the vice dean for teaching and learning. And then up until... June 2020, when I took up this role and I returned to Nigeria, my home country. Those are fantastic successes. Hi, my name is Yvonne Chakachaka and I'm UNICEF and Rollback Malaria Goodwill Ambassador. You are listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, a program that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in the struggle for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy, a program against social ills such as racism, socio-economic class division and gender-based violence. Womanity, Women in Unity, presented by Dr. Amalia Malka every week on this day at this time. Today, we're talking to Professor Esther Akinlabi, who is the director of the Pan-African University for Life and Earth Sciences in Ibadan, Nigeria. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. 
I wanted to spend a little bit more time on the nature of your, your field of specialization, which I believe is friction stir welding and additive manufacturing. If you could please unpack that in, let's say, in, in English, uh, as opposed to scientific language, what types of career opportunities and industries would be open to women who chose to study this area? Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's, it's a field that I would say has a lot of relevance to so many industries, particularly the manufacturing industries. And I always tell people, both male and female, when you study mechanical engineering and in the field of friction steel welding and additive manufacturing, that the entire world is opened onto such a person. So industries like the, the automotive industry, shipbuilding, trains, manufacturing industries generally, auto, uh, aerospace and the biomedical, uh, biomedical industry. And uh, so the two, one, one is welding, it's, it's a solid state welding technology that is efficient steel welding. While the additive manufacturing is uh, the, the very common 3D printing. So to a lay person, it is a 3D printing. However, I do 3D printing from, from metallic powder. That is the only difference. Whereas the common 3D printing that we see everywhere uses the ABS plastic material. So the entire world is open. The under, underground tube trains in London, the panels are all made using friction steel welding technology. So it's so amazing. Looking at additive manufacturing, this technology has been termed as a technology for the future. We're still scratching. A lot of benefits, a lot of applications that this technology holds for, 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 for the world today. And uh, Africa, we still, uh, I was still scratching on the surface. However, the Europe, uh, US and, uh, and the UK, America have gone, uh, they, 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 they are far ahead in the application of additive manufacturing technology. However, the phase where we are on the African continent, majority of, of, its, uh, of its application still at R&D level, I believe that so we're going to be reaping the benefits of uh, additive manufacturing on the African continent. And for me, I'm very happy to be someone who is, the, is in the frontier of, of this technology. When you talk about the applications, you really bring these disciplines to life and, and the technology to life. And it's going to be so exciting with you being at, at the forefront, leading the way. And particularly as a woman, I have to say. Prof Akinabi, because we're a gender-based show, we obviously look at things like the Global Gender Gap Index, which measures the extent of gender-based gaps across four core dimensions, economic participation and opportunity, educational attainment, health and survival, and lastly, political empowerment. When I looked at the 2020 report, it indicated that at the current pace, it will take another 95 years for Sub-Sahara to close these gender gaps. Firstly, how would you describe the state of gender equality in Nigeria? And, and I also say this bearing in mind that I think the population of Nigeria is something like 
202 to 206 million people. I mean, you've got an enormous population. Yeah. Yes, the gender gap in Nigeria, I would say, is still very, very wide. Of course, comparing to South Africa, I would say that it is uh, still wider than the, 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 what, what is obtainable in South Africa. I have seen, since my, my, my return back to Nigeria, I've seen several panels that are still being constituted and they are all, all men panel. Actually, I've also seen so many uh, examples like that. I had a panel visited my institute some, some months ago and they were all men to come and um, to, 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 to see the, the institute. So people are not yet conscious of the fact of, of being gender sensitive. Let me put it that way. However, there's uh, awareness that is being created. People, organizations, and many people are at talks with the federal government of Nigeria and also at state level and local government levels to speak to people in authority to try and involve more women, Let, to, to allow more women to participate in leadership roles leadership positions in committees and in panels so that we can also have the voice of the women as well, which I believe it is very, very important to, 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 be, to be gender sensitive. So awareness and participation are, are some of the key elements to help drive a, a shift in, in mindset and to start creating greater visibility of women. Can you please tell us about a couple of women in Nigeria who have been important change agents? Yeah, I have a, a number of examples. The, the most popular one is, the, is uh, Dr. Ngozi Okonjo Iwela, the current uh, Director General of the World Trade Organization. We also have uh, um, Mrs. Uh, Obi Ezekwezili, who was a, a former minister of education. She's, uh, she, she has been really acclaimed that she did a lot of uh, good work when she was in office. I also remember of blessed memory, Dr. Dora Akuili, who was uh, the director general for NAVDAC, which is an agency for food and drug control. It is uh, noted that uh, she was a no-nonsense uh, person when she, she was the director general of, uh, of, of, NAV, of NAVDAC. So these are some of uh, notable women in Nigeria that uh, are change agents that uh, personally, I, I really appreciate the work that uh, they are doing and for the person that I've also passed on to memory as well. There are a couple of many more anyway, but these three have stood out for me in what they, st they stood for. And in your examples, they haven't only just changed life in Nigeria, but they've also had an impact on the world at large. Yes. We're drawing towards the end of the show. And one question I'd like to ask you now is about your personal journey and factors for success. Many of our guests who've been on the show and have reached tremendous achievements speak about discipline, focus, faith, and values. In your opinion, what would you say are, are some of the key drivers for your success? 
I fully agree with the four that you already said, discipline, focus, faith, and values. However, I will add hard work and diligence. These two have also stood out for me as well as key drivers on my path to success in life. So I would like these two to be added, hard work and diligence. I'm going to add them to my list. They're very important mm-hmm. ones. We chatted a little bit earlier about you, you know, traveling from your, your village, going on to a larger city as you started growing your, let's say, traversing your, your academic pathways and then coming through to Port Elizabeth in South Africa, then going to Johannesburg at the University of Johannesburg, and now going back to Nigeria. Please, can you share with us a few of the pivotal moments in your life growing up that impacted on you? Yeah, very good question. I come from a very humble beginning, from a very poor family, from a village, Kaba. And uh, my, I lived in the village until I completed my secondary school education. Life was tough, it was really difficult to get food and actually have clothes and all of that to, to put on. But I must say that uh, some of the pivotal moments for, for me personally and to my siblings as well, was the fact that we had very good parental guidance. We also had good Christian values. We were taught to be focused and to be diligent in all we do at, at growing, growing up as uh, younger children. My dad is of blessed memory and my mom is still alive. She is a retired uh, deputy principal in a, in, in, in a primary school. So all of this stood out for me, good parental guidance, which today I've also tried my best to put that through to my own children as well. I have a boy and a girl, the two of them, now in the university and they're, they're both studying in the UK. And uh, I've had many people give us feedback as parents that this, your children are well-behaved, they have good parental guidance, and that their Christian values are also uh, top-notch as well. They are focused on what they are doing, and they are very diligent as well. You must be very proud as a parent that your softer skills have come through and are, are standing your children in good, set, in good stead. Nothing beats good, strong values. I fully agree with you. Thank you. And can you please tell us which women have been role models or, or influences in your life? Yeah. Uh, you, you have said which women. However, I have my father as my role model of blessed memory and my mother as well. So the woman now, uh, the first woman in my life that I would say uh, is a role model to me is my mom. Then uh, being in South Africa, I recall in 2011, I had the opportunity to meet with uh, Her Excellency uh, Dr. Naledi Pando. And from there, I, 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 I recall telling my husband that I would like to, to be a great person like, like Naledi Pando. And I, I, I'm always very interested when she's talking on the TV. I want to yeah, listen to her. Every opportunity I have to get close to her, I ensure that I try to, to do so. And I was so happy that our paths actually crossed. I was able to meet with uh, her Excellency Naledi Pando, like up to four or five times during my, my, my stay in South Africa that we had one-on-one uh, discussion. And I actually told her that you are my role model. She was really surprised and she was really, uh, really amazed at, at, at me telling her that. 
And uh, recently as well, I also have uh, the commissioner, Her Excellency Sarah Ayang Agbo, the uh, commissioner for education, science, technology, and innovation of the African Union Commission. I see her as a role model because she's someone that I found to be very transparent. She comes mm. true to me as someone that is very confident, conf confident and bold in, 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 in carrying out her, her duties. And those are virtues that I love and uh, I love to, to see in, in a woman and also uh, try my best to also work towards being firm, objective and transparent. I see these three qualities in, in, in Prof. Sarah Ayan Angbo. And uh, with that, I also say that she is also my role model. Those are strong leadership qualities. Sometimes I, I think that from a leadership perspective that women exhibit different qualities which um, help their leadership and it, it combines with their own unique style. Lastly, as we close out our conversation today, please can you share a few words of wisdom, encouragement, or inspiration that you'd like to pass on to girls and women who are listening to the show today? I would like to say to the girls that they should be focused and have a clear goal in life and work towards it. They should not allow anything to distract them during their, their, their journey in life. It's also very, it's very important. To women, I would like to say that each and every one of us, including me, Esther, we should try our, our best to live a life of influence, live a, a, a life like a role model, and brighten the corner where we find ourselves at every point in time. I love to make my, a, a mark wherever I find myself, and that has been my, 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 my watchword to ensure that I live a particular place better than, than I, 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 I met it. Those are great words of being able to make your mark, leave an impact, have your contribution. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been such a pleasure having you on the show. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much for the invitation. I really appreciate it. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. And we have been talking to Professor Esther Akinlabi, who is the Director of the Pan-African University for Life and Earth Sciences in Iwadan. Music